are now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential, derived from our maker. That is liberty, and liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. Greetings. Happy Monday. Welcome to the Steve Day Show free podcast. Subsidized, underwritten, because nothing is free. Somebody's always paying for something, right? So CRTV, our benevolent overlords, were kind enough to pay for this on your behalf. Uh, thanks to them, we get to do this free podcast of unique content for you each and every day on iHeart, iTunes, and Stitcher. Todd and Aaron are here with me. We'd love it if you would join us. Steve at stevedace.com is the email address. You can like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter, at Steve Day Show. Last name is spelled D-E-A-C-E. We just wrapped up today's television show, and we focused it exclusively on the news today that Paul Manafort former head of the Trump for President campaign, indicted on 12 counts of charges from independent counsel uh, Robert Mueller, as well as um, uh, Mr. Manafort's associate, Rick Gates. And one of them was conspiracy against the United States of America. And if you look at what he was essentially charged with, he was charged with not disclosing he was a foreign agent of a foreign power, and then attempting to launder money and defraud uh, investigators and basically the entire federal government in forbidding that disclosure to be exposed. Now, I don't know what everybody else calls it when, a, when somebody pretends to be working for their own country while they're working for another one. And the one they're working for is an enemy country, and they go out of their way not to disclose that they're working for that enemy country. I don't know what you guys call that. I call that being a traitor, where I'm from. So we spent our entire show looking at this today. Um, why my analysis on this is different than even a lot of people in conservative media that normally I would probably more line up with. We had Robino on, I thought, to have a fascinating conversation about um, how should conservative media go forward in light of today's revelations. So... This is definitely an episode, gentlemen, I think our audience does not want to miss. And I think we wouldn't do it justice by teasing a nugget here or there. So I just kind of wanted to provide the elevator pitch overview of why you want to use that promo code DACE today. If you've never used it before, this is a great day to do that free trial. Great day to do it. And if you try it, you're like, I can't, I don't dig this. Hey, try Levin, try Crowder. Phil Robertson makes his debut today on CRTV. If there's none of us you like, just cancel at the end of that free, by the end of that free trial. You don't get charged anything. But if you've never used my name to get that discounted subscription and get the clock ticking on your free trial, guys, I think today's the day. What say you? Yeah, and uh, also with the uh, with the holidays coming up, uh, Christmas, if you already have a subscription and you have the means to uh, get this as a gift for somebody else, you should totally do that and still use the promo code DACE because that's that's definitely possible. If you enjoy this and you know somebody else who uh, doesn't have CRTV and would enjoy it, think about getting this for them as a Christmas present. I think that'd be a great idea. Yeah, you'll find out that most of my analysis... By the way, Christmas is 48 hours away. It becomes acceptable to fire to up you. the Andy William to America, which I represent. <laughs> Yep. To fire I think up. you're going to hear in Andy Williams, short order. It's the most wonderful time of the year. It becomes unacceptable once more to ever play Wham's Last Christmas even one time. But 48 hours begins Christmas. And I am your Christmas slappy. Yes. Go ahead, Todd. I'm sorry. No, Very fine. important public service get, announcement. Really had to, be to get there. that out to get your giddy. Uh, We're going to debate the Reformation today. The, the Protestants tried to get rid of Christmas because they thought that was one of you pagan Catholic celebrations. I'm, I'm, let me have your back on this one. All right. All right. I got your back right. on this Take one. Take yes for an answer, Todd. All yes. Downhill, thank you, All Aaron. downhill from here. Yes. Uh, you'll find out just how much of my analysis has to do with uh, we've been eating crab sandwiches now for so long. What's this? latest crap sandwich is it even crappier you know that, unfortunately that i said it on the show it's my rorschach test now I, I i wish this could be as damning as it should be but we'll see promo code dace crtv.com is the address right that's the website yeah 
want to make sure I got that right. CRTV.com, promo code DACE. Because I almost said Steve Dace. I got, almost got confused. Very sorry. So CRTV.com. SteveDace.com. It'll go to CRTV.com. Yeah, because I couldn't remember if it was still up or not, right? Because they bought the website from me. So CRTV.com, promo code DACE. Today, and I did a video about this for a conservative review for Facebook Live. Uh, we do a weekly Facebook Live on their big Facebook page. It has almost like 2 million people on it. And we call it countercultural. We look at the intersection between culture and conservatism. And I laid out why regardless of what your theological opinions are of, the, of, of this event, America's origin, birth and origin are two different things, right? Like my kids' birthdays are July 3rd, 2005, February 16th, 2001, February 11th, 2007. Those are their birth dates. But their origin dates really are the Friday after Thanksgiving, 1995, when a guy named Steve and a guy named Amy met on an AOL chat room. See where, I, see where I'm going? That, sure. That's really the origin of where their three birthdays came from. Gotcha. So our birthday is July 4th. But really the origin of what we call America is really celebrating its 500th anniversary tomorrow. Because while you can debate the theology that came out of this event, its historical impact is not debatable. There would be no America as we know it anyway, um, without the Protestant Reformation. And it, I'll just give you one simple example, and the rest of it you can watch in the Facebook Live video that we have on our Facebook page, right? Who are the, who are the people that really, really put America as we know it into, into motion? What do we call them? They were the pilgrims. How did they become pilgrims? They were Puritans. What, what were their beliefs from? They were influenced heavily by the Reformation. So if there's no Protestant Reformation, there are no Puritan reformers. If there's no Puritan reformers, there are no pilgrims. If there are no pilgrims, there is no Mayflower. If there is no Mayflower, there is no Mayflower Compact. If there is no Mayflower Compact, that's the founding, that's really the first governing document in American history. So there's a reason why when the History Channel did their most important people of the millennium in 1999, Two of the top three were Johannes Gutenberg and Martin Luther because they were the pivotal figures of the Reformation. Luther, ideologically. Gutenberg, his methodology. He allowed, the printing press allowed Luther to get his ideas out to the public and around um, the, the power system in Rome at the time. So that's a separate conversation. The historicity of the Reformation, I don't think any of us here would debate, would we? Do you think we would debate it? No. Todd, would you debate its historical impact? You mean in terms of the narrative that's generally taken in by now is legit? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So that's a separate conversation. And the, the intention of that Facebook video I did today was to draw attention to this event. Because I think the themes that it addressed, we should still be debating today. Before we begin that debate, I want to set the scene. And if I get any of this history wrong, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm trying my best not to have a... You know, I'm, I'm trying not to prime the pump here, okay? Gotcha. So you, at any point, you have unlimited objections, all right, that you can lobby if I get this wrong, okay? But I want to set the stage of where the world was at this time. October 31st, because really this didn't begin on October 31st, 1517. It began sooner. Much sooner. Much sooner. There had been debates. And, and by the way, what's the word reform mean? What's re a prefix for? Again. Again. So... By definition, the argument the reformers were making is they wanted to return the church to its orig- what they viewed as its original leanings. In fact, if you line up a lot of the theology you read from Luther, from Calvin even, and you go read Augustine's theology that he was writing about a thousand years before those guys, it is very similar. So in their view, they were trying to reform, to return, to do again a church that they, in their view, had lost their way. Now, why did they believe the church had lost their way? Let's set the history. One of the seminal books written at this time in history was called Machiavelli's The Prince. Now, we're not entirely sure who Machiavelli wrote his book about. One of the popular historical theories is it was written about the Borgia family. Who were the Borgias? Well, you've seen their names quite a bit in pop culture in recent years. Showtime did a mini-series where Jeremy Irons played the, uh, played the patriarch. The Borgias were, historically, 
at best sketchy, at worst basically a crime family. And they schemed their way into the papacy right around the time Luther was an Augustinian monk. The daughter was basically a black widow. We think the son was maybe a homosexual, one of them anyway. The father was involved in all forms of nefarious activities. You had had, the church had actually been through um, the schism with the Eastern Church by this point in time in history. You had, had you had the French schism at this point yet, Todd? Have we had the Avignon papacy by the time of the Reformation? Was that before or after? No, that was in the 13th. Yeah, yeah so it was before. before. So there had already been numerous schisms, arguments. Some historians argue that the, the church in Rome had, had become heavily politicized since the formation of the Holy Roman Empire. And in defense of the church in Rome, it, it formed the Holy Roman Empire to defend itself, its own existence from Islam. I mean, the Muslims were literally like, you know, shouting distance of Paris. They were planting, they were in, they'd already gone to Spain, Portugal, they were planting the flag. They were spreading the word of Allah. But crusades or something. But the crusades or something, right. So it wasn't as if some pope in the 8th century went to like Charlemagne and said, hey, will you guys form a, a government with me so we can politicize our church? Uh, no, they were trying to save the church. Save what, what we now call Western civilization was literally on the brink of extinction. Christendom. Christendom, as we, we, as we used to call it historically. But of course... After, this is why Thomas Jefferson argued for the separation of church and state. Not to protect the state from the church, but to protect the church from the state. Over Preach. time, political influence clearly carried a lot of weight within the church. There was, um, I guess we would call him a middle-aged a middle ages version of a televangelist. Was his name Tetzel, I think was his Jonathan name? Jonathan Tetzel. Tetzel, who was traveling throughout Europe. Now keep in mind what was going on in Europe at this time. <clears throat> they were coming out of the Crusades, the Dark Ages, plague. Like the average age. I mean, if you could find a 24-year-old single male like Aaron in 16th century France, you were going to need to fight off every other female in your village for this guy. Because he was a rarity. Either he was dead from plague or dead from war. A lot of women are single moms, widows. They don't know where their husbands are, whether they will even come home. And you had this guy traveling throughout these villages, praying, P-R-E-Y, on these people's fears. And yet Rome at this point was a massive renovation of St. Peter's Cathedral, correct? Correct. And he was raising money. And I, I, there was even like a limerick he had. I can't remember what it was. But essentially what he was saying is every time you drop a corn in his well... The Pope will buy your loved one's soul away from hell. They, he was selling what they were calling indulgences. Meaning the Pope would buy, would use his authority to bring the soul of your loved one out of hell or purgatory if you donated to the renovation of St. Peter's Cathedral. Now what is debatable historically is whether this guy was doing this on his own, whether he was directly assigned from Rome. We've never really truly tracked down what this guy's act was, or even if he was even given the money to Rome. There's some accounts I've read that he was essentially, that's why I said he, I kind of called him a version of today's televangelists. There's some historical accounts I've read that he was even pocketing a lot of this money himself. So soon as coin and coffer rings, the soul from Purgatory Springs. Thank you. There's our theory. Yours was pretty well, good, he, though, too. Yeah, I, I kind of came up with one that was close, at least, in yeah. spirit, right? He was ultimately disciplined by the church. It, of course, that does not, whether that was uh, a, 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 a cover-up or entirely legit, I don't think I need to, uh, we don't need to turn this into a detective story, but he was ultimately not protected. Right. He was disciplined. So this sort of sets the historical scene. And, and there had been other reformers, and we've named, you know, evangelicals and named their publishing houses after them, William Tyndale, for example, that attempted to reform the church, and the church did not respond very well. Um, and it's not about the fact they disagreed with the reformers. It's kind of how they treated them when they disagreed. <laughs> All right? Um, they killed him. So this is the backdrop. And now we have this unconventional Augustinian monk. What do I mean by Augustinian monk? He was an order of Augustine. When a, so again, what did I say earlier? A lot of the theology, teachings of predestination in those things that the reformers taught, were things that Augustine was teaching in the fifth and, in the fifth century as the Bishop of Hippo. So you have this Augustinian monk who defies his father, 
His father wants him to be a lawyer because he's brilliant and he's pugnacious. He is, in many respects, a man after my own heart. <laughs> not careful. in all the good I don't ways. Know how close you want to get to that? <laughs> not in all, the, not in the good ways. Okay, the things about me I wish I could tone down and change. Okay, that's why. I, that's why I said when I started, don't let me romanticize this more than I probably want to, because I there's a, there's a kindred spirit there at times. All right, his father sees this. His father's a very successful businessman. He sees this brilliant brilliant young man who's pugnacious and he's like I'm going to make this guy a lawyer and he's essentially going to defend my interests against people that want to come after my success but he feels a call to the priesthood and his father's greatly angered by this thinks it's a waste of his potential so he goes into the priesthood spends time in the monastery as a monk his apprenticeship eventually works his way into a seminary at a place called Wittenberg Germany where he's like one of the teaching priests there but he's never really studied in, in, in depth the Bible. Now, it's not as simple as, well, because Catholics don't study the Bible. It's not that simple. We're pre-printing press. The Bible, the, by, order, by fiat of Rome, and there are some historical suggestions to say that Rome did this because they wanted to avoid the populace maybe getting their hands on some things that might not fit what Rome wants to do or the other way around. Maybe they also wanted to get a rain on heretics taking scriptures and running rampant with them. But what is not in dispute is the Bible was only allowed to be translated in the West anyway in one language at this time, Latin, going back to St. Jerome's Latin Vulgate, which he translated directly from original manuscripts. It was that like in the 7th or 8th century, right? Okay. So this had been, and, and this had to all be written out by hand. So it was very most Germans didn't know Latin and even most German monks could not get their hands on an actual Bible. So they were taught catechesis, church teaching. So he was catechized into being an Augustinian monk. He really struggled with whether I'm good enough to, whether I'm doing enough. Am I doing enough word and sacrament? Am I performing enough penance for God to truly love me? This was something Luther wrote a lot about early in his life. He really struggled with how do I gain God's approval? He is sent on a mission from his local vicar to go to Rome and deliver some paperwork. While there, he does two things. One, he observes outlandishly immoral behavior from some of the priests in Rome which really turns his stomach. The other is, he for the first time truly gets to study the word of God. And he opens it up to Romans 1.17. And Luther said this was the verse that sparked the Protestant Reformation. And Paul writes, the righteous or the just, the justified, shall live by faith. And that began to radically transform Luther's theology as he went back to Wittenberg. He started preaching a, a more revolutionary theology. And this caused controversy on the campus. So on All Hallows' Eve, October 31st, 1517, he writes a document, 95 theses, disagreements he has with the papacy with church teaching and catechesis where he thinks they doesn't necessarily line up with scripture and he asks for what's called a disputation which is an academic term for a debate he wants an argument like we're going to have a conversation right here probably not fully knowing what he was about to set off and he by legend nailed them to a door there's historical differences did he nail them to a door did he just kind of leave them out there We'll go with the legend because it just sounds more thematic. He nails them to the door, and Western civilization was never the same from that point forward. Are we? Am I? Are you okay with the historical account I just gave? As the preamble, as the setup. Yes, I will say that up. Even though, yeah, I don't think you're taking too far a leap to say it was never the same. But at this point, what he did was how things were done. 
setting his personality aside this is how you have a debate uh, and, and heck Catholics right now the, the the many of the in the College of Cardinals with our current Pope are having similar debates over theology so there's nothing particularly unique and it wasn't yes while there were reformers who uh, we're talking about uh, you mentioned Tyndall uh, uh, Huss about a hundred years mm-hmm. previous to all this he was uh, I believe burned at the stake mm-hmm. uh, there was uh, Wycliffe uh, in England but it wasn't this was you weren't living in an age where you step out of line and say i i beg the question here and you're off with your head that would simply be wrong and steve you haven't you've haven't said anything to indicate it but this was an entirely legitimate mode for both sides to entertain nothing about this was a declaration of war from the get-go it certainly turned into one i think that's fair Especially because the history we will see after after Luther's revolution begins to win the day in certain places is you animal farm happens. Yes, we look from man to pig yes. and pig to man, and we couldn't tell the difference. Which is a point I plan on right. making down the road. We, yes. we eventually see. I mean, you look at Henry the Eighth. He was literally mentored by Sir Thomas More, arguably the greatest Catholic thinker since Aquinas. Um, the man for all seasons. They made a movie about him. He let him be burned alive. Like what the Catholic Church, he let the Protestants burn Sir Thomas More alive. Henry VIII did. So ultimately, this this did become as much about personalities yes. as the doctrinal differences. And before when ultimately talk- Henry VIII then turned on yes. turned on the reformers. Yes. When yes. He, when when they want when they wanted the Church of England to be autonomous from the from yes. the king, he then turned on the reformers and started burning the Protestant reformers because it, we and the reason we make this point is it's similar to what we're watching happen in our politics today. The higher point often gets obfuscated by the personality and the tribalism. Correct. And then we start burning people. Yes, that yes, F, in effigy or literally, <laughs> okay. And no one's as as we as as Joss as it says in a in a Joss Wheaton Avengers script. Everyone has blood has red in the ledger. No one has the historical high ground here. That's why it's important for us not to overly romanticize things. So with that history set, what I want to discuss for the remainder of our podcast is. There are five creeds that came out of the Reformation that are essentially, when I, when I teach evangel- a version of evangelical catechesis, like I'm going to do this afternoon when we finish here, for example, for high school kids here in Des Moines, when they ask me, what is a biblical worldview, I give them these five creeds as essentially what I think is the framework of a biblical worldview. I want to go over each of these to see where is truly the difference between a Catholic and a Protestant perspective. Think that's a good way of approaching it? Oh, yeah. You all right with this? Yeah. Okay. The first one is, and I'll use the English instead of the Latin, even though I know the Latin, but frankly, I'd just be using it to sound like I'm smarter than I really am. So we'll just speak the language of the day. Because I want to do it this way, whether then, because Luther wrote some terrible things about Jews. Luther wrote some terrible things about a lot of people, whether they were terrible or not. I don't want this. He even also said, do not go off and start a church in my name, which is exactly what they did. All right. So I want if we play this by the personality game, that's when it gets really divisive, because if 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 the personality becomes my idol, I'm the argument's going to be which one of us can clutch our idol tighter. That's going to be the argument. Let's have the argument and the let's have let's have the disputation. Once Luther said he didn't believe in the... Because Rome really wanted to debate the fallibility of the Pope. Luther wanted to really debate the infallibility of, of his beliefs. Once it became the debate over the fallibility, is the Pope infallible or not, whatever disputation Luther really wanted to have at that moment was never going to occur. I would like us to actually have this disputation because I really enjoyed the disputation I had with Noah Rothman last Monday. And I think as important as that conversation was, I think this one's even more important than that. We, go, we concur on that? Let's go. All right. First creed, Christ alone. Okay. That there is no salvation outside of Jesus Christ. Quoting from the words of St. Peter himself. There is no other name under heaven by which men can be saved other than the name of Jesus. 
That's the first creed of the Reformation. Christ alone. No other way that you can have your sins forgiven except through the atoning work of Jesus Christ at the cross. Thoughts? Cool. We're cool on that one. Yeah. Is there? I, I honestly don't. Is there a? Is there a reason of the ordering of these five? I honestly don't know. Yes. Yeah. There is. Okay. There is. And I'm guessing it's going to be because I've seen it listed without being Christ alone first. Yeah. So have I. Sometimes. Usually it's usually so grazie. So grace alone right. is usually listed first. But I wanted to. I, I changed it for the purpose of the distance oh, conversation. Okay. I changed it to Christ alone. Because ultimately, in my view... This is your own reformation? Yeah. <laughs> I just, I just read, See, this is what happens. You're making my point. I made myself an idol. <laughs> it just keeps tumbling. I told you all along, I love me some me. Why didn't you listen? <laughs> no, the reason I wanted to do that, though, is because ultimately, if we can't agree on that, well, then we're really... And we're, then, then it's me and my buddy Daniel Horowitz. We're... we're we have similarities. We're cousins, but we're in a different religion. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. If we, so that, because ultimately, what does Paul base the Christian faith on? Did Jesus go to the cross, die, and walk out of that tomb alive, right? If that did not happen, then we, then all of, mm-hmm. everything else we're going to debate from this time forward is a waste of time. Mm-hmm. It's irrelevant, all right? Then we're not having a disputation. We're having a waste of our time amputation whatever that's called maybe it's called an amputation of time that's what we're doing so i wanted to start with that because too many evangelicals want to say if you belong to the catholic church you're not a christian the standard of who's a christian christ made very very plain and i'm sure there might be people that still hold on to there's no salvation outside of the church on your side of the street the standard for who's a christian god christ made that pretty pretty plain by their fruit, you will know them. If the fruit of salvation is and, and transformation is in their lives, well, since you're not Jesus, you didn't die on the cross, you didn't redeem them, you didn't do the saving work of the cross, you're not the atoner, who are you to dispute with then whom he has flourished fruit in if they don't belong to your particular theological tribe? So I want to establish that premise from the beginning. What does it mean to be a Christian? Because that's really what we're debating here. A, what it means to be a Christian, and B, how then am I to live? That's really what we're debating. So the first premise is, can I, as a, as a Christian, I am acknowledging there is one Messiah, one Lord, one baptism. Over all, for all, right? Jesus Christ, period. That's it. That's all there is. There isn't any more. We all agree on that point. Yeah. Okay. I think so. All yes. right. Point two. Now we do grace alone. Okay. That there is nothing we as individuals can do. You might want to take the time here to talk about your version of what alone means, because when you have five alones, yes, people are going to wonder what yeah. the deal alone is. doesn't mean the difference. There's that's why the term is used. The Latin term is sola and not solo. Right, like one of the greatest Christian authors of all time is. Uh, Max Lucado. He used to belong to a, a denomination that if the instruments weren't in the Bible, they wouldn't put them in their church. Well, that's so low, Scriptura. And we'll get to that one in a moment. But I can't learn how to do open-heart surgery from the Bible. There is truth that exists outside the Bible. But there must be an ultimate truth. Sola would say the, the Bible alone is the ultimate truth of the universe. Is it the only truth? No. But it alone is the ultimate truth. In this case, we are saying there is no other salvation other than Christ. He is Christ alone, is the only salvation. Grace alone, meaning there is nothing you can do to earn God's favor. In fact, your attempts to do so insult him. Because as the prophet Isaiah says, all of your righteousness are like bloody menstrual rags. That's the actual Hebrew he uses there. It's an idiom. Bloody menstrual rags. And and Jews, by the law, weren't allowed to touch what? Blood. All right, so that's why he is making this statement to them. And the old Jewish law, a lot of times women would have to go away when they were having their cycle. All right, because that's how sacred blood was in the covenant. So your attempts to do to curry favor with me, God says, are like the rags that the women use on their cycles they dispose of with their blood from their monthly cycles. It's worthless. 
don't cheapen what I did for you at the cross. You cannot earn favor with me. Grace alone, you are saved, meaning it is a free gift from God that a man cannot earn on his or her own. Any disagreement on that? No, and Catholics, to make the point about both points so far, every Catholic church you walk into has a big, not just a cross, it has a big crucifix because it believes so much in what you said. If it was just about uh, somebody being, you know, a nice pep rally speech to get you to be your best self, Mm -hmm. wouldn't have been that, that that wouldn't have been necessary. I think most Protestants don't know what a mass is. But a mass is essentially a a reminder, right, of, of the cross. Isn't that essentially, in, many, in some respects, that's one of the central duties of, of, a, of a weekly Mass, is a weekly remembrance of what Christ endured oh, at the cross. It's, it's more than that. And I'm going to be um, as user-friendly, like we always talk about movies and football analogies, but one of the criticisms of a Mass has been, well, you, you, you think you're making... Uh, you're, you're crucifying Christ Jesus over again. Over and over right. and over again. No. But think of this more like a time machine that takes you back to that exact point in time over and over and again. So it's not happening again and again, but it is the ability to harness the power of the most important act of love in the history of the universe. So it's, it's, it's way more than symbolic. Number three, this is probably where the disputation will now begin. Faith alone, meaning we as Christians are justified. And what do I mean by justified? Meaning we affirm, we seal the covenant God placed in us. We affirm our role within it by living a life of faith. And that, faith, that, that life of faith alone is what indicates that we have been saved because we justify ourselves not by sight, not by a system, not by a process, or even through a series of, um, what's the word I'm looking for here? Um, Sacraments. But faith alone, ultimately, our willingness to put our faith in Christ, die daily to that faith alone, is what shows that we have been justified by Christ with a saving faith. I like your words there about a living a life of faith. I, th- I use your language regarding um, when we've been doing um, Worldview Wednesday. Uh, you talked about the creed, mm-hmm. the foundation, but now you need a framework. Mm-hmm. Works are the framework. What you said, uh, by your fruits you will know them. Faith without works is dead. That's just, This is just, I, I find this this argument so frustrating because you and I have, you and I have never in all our, we, we've talked, we've debated a little, I, I don't remember us ever really arguing about this in any level of death, which is probably why we're comfortable having this now, I but that, I, I don't then, understand, let me tell you what, it's not just, hey, here's my creed, no, and actually this is where I think people have argued that, you know, and and some of Martin Luther's own words on this are very confusing, you know, the whole sin boldly, that's a, like a generous bumper sticker of some of the things he said about what you know, you can murder a thousand times and no problem because I'm and help me I'm, I'm paraphrasing broadly but he's, can sin clean that up absolutely do you know how hard it is to be for a murderer to be genuinely repentant it's not like yeah sorry god i'm and that's where a lot of this confusion your your works are vital to bringing flesh to your faith. I think the argument here, and I've, I've tried to study this from both sides in my faith walk, much of what evangelicals or Protestants decry, in my view, as a system religion. Catholicism bases these things off of, there must be a framework, to use the term you just used, to answer certain questions in order to keep people on a narrow path. When they fall, what do they do? Do they just get back up and act like they did nothing wrong? Are we all antinomians now? Because the Catholic is going to say, I thought you Protestants hated Pelagius. I thought you guys told us Pelagius was a heretic. So now you're telling us that you... So you're, the opposite of Pelagius is you don't want to have a system that, that reminds people that 
they are broken and they are sinners, that they have to die daily, that they have to work out their salvation with fear and trembling. Am I doing this right? Well, this, you're this doing is, that right philosophically, but also Catholics believe that it's not just a philosophical premise, it's a premise laid down by Christ It's himself. a relational one. The, the Protestant fear of this is I can go live any way I want all week long, and if I light a candle at a grotto, if I attend confession, if I if I walk through three to four or five easy steps of, I we're saying I, the same thing. That's I a Catholic again. fear of Protestant. It's like <laughs> sin boldly, I know we sin are. as much as you. I know we are. That's what I find fascinating yes. about this. Is see what I think the argument really is about. I think it's not a theological argument. It 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 evolves into one because I really think it's an ecclesiastical argument. That's well, and which is a personality kind I, of thing. I, I yes. think I think the argument is ultimately what's the authority, the church, or the scriptures? Do the scriptures dictate to the church, or do the scripts? Do does the church put in context the scriptures? I think that's really the debate for Protestants. I, yes, not I do. For, not for Catholics. But I, I think because I think if your if your position is that the church puts the scriptures in the context, then you can like that's why I shared last week. The, a, a Catholic biblical exegetical defense of purgatory. Because I think you can make that defense if you start from that premise. But if my premise is that the scriptures alone are, that's sola scriptura, that's the next one. Scripture alone is the, is the ultimate authority. Ultimate authority. Not the only, but the ultimate. I would, I would pin it as truth is like a table. And, it, and there's biology and psychology and 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 philosophy right? there's all these pursuits of knowledge that have a seat at this table but something must ultimately sit at the head of the table what sits at the head of the table well before the reformation the theology was the queen of the science well but yes what the reformation would say is because ultimately because the church became corrupted because all human institutions do the scriptures alone must stand on their own two legs apart from being threatened by human machinations. They sit at the head of the table. That's what the Reformation would say, which would be our next creed. Scripture alone is the ultimate authority. Because I think all these other debates come down to that question. The fourth really. one? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. They all do. It comes. It's a question of authority. Yes. Is the church the ultimate authority or is, are the scriptures the ultimate authority? We agree on that. Because every time, we don't necessarily agree on what's the ultimate authority, but we agree that is really the debate. Because every time I've had, when I've had this conversation with other Catholic friends of mine, this is why I've come to this conclusion. Ultimately, like I used to listen to Catholic Answers Radio here in Des Moines all the time. And I would listen to a former evangelical turned Catholic apologist, and I would marvel, I wonder how many evangelicals have listened to this, some of this stuff. He would, he had... I would rarely see him cite catechesis or church canon. He was making biblical arguments for much of his much of his Catholic methodology. Catholic of his answers faith. live. You must find out about it if you're interested it's, in it's, the kind of thing Steve's talking. It about. will stretch you intellectually, even if you're uh, even if you're yeah. a Catholic dissenter. You should listen to it. Most, I would say, 75, 80 percent of the arguments I heard him make were based out of Scripture, mm -hmm. which means the question really comes down to. Do the scriptures interpret themselves or does the church put the scriptures in context? As, do we agree that that's really the argument we're having? It's as close. Yeah, I, I, I won't dissent What do you that. think, Aaron? Yeah, I think that's that's uh, that's the crux of this. And what, what I've noticed, and I used to be one of those growing up, one of those people that I thought Catholics and Catholicism was sort of some sort of weird cult type thing. I just I wanted to avoid it with all, you know, with every bone in my my body i just thought it was heretical i just had every single negative notion about it and then when i actually started to investigate it especially more in college as well so many of these so many of these issues that catholics and protestants uh have are really attempts to say the same thing uh, and coming to different conclusions. Attempts to make the same statement and coming to different conclusions. A lot of the liturgy and a lot of the thing, like just a couple minutes ago, saying, okay, we're crucifying Christ over and over and over again in, in, at Mass, uh, that's... Th 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 
those are, I think, just different interpretations of what should be at the heart of every, I think, everything that I've seen out of Catholicism as far as the liturgy and some of the, um, I'm drawing a blank for words, but the things they do every single week that, uh, man, help me out here. The rituals, the ritualistic, the things that look ritualistic, they actually come from a place at their very purest essence of actually being quite biblical, and I think a lot of Protestants would be surprised if they did a little bit more digging into some of those things. Now, where we as Protestants are going to come back is, you know, crazy theories about relics, the Virgin, in in our view, the Virgin Mary. Um, Why priests can't marry when we know Peter was married because he had a mother-in-law. Things of this nature. We will come back with, that's why ultimately the scriptures need to be the final authority. My guess is what you're going to come back with is, you know, if scripture's the final authority, how come when I turn on TBN, it's a hot mess Stanley steamer of poo from half the people on there opening their mouths and all forms of heresy and questionable ethics and, you know, Jesse Duplantis, buy my prayer towel and God will give me a jet airplane. How's your sola scriptura working for you, reigning those in, right? Is that is that the point back? You were joking before about this is your own reformation, but how did you say that... that, that the scripture interpret itself is that the way you put it just that to, scripture that ultimate the scriptures ultimately interpret themselves, themselves. Yeah. well the answer to me is just obviously no i mean we are this the martin what martin luther started just turned into one fracture after another added almost um uh uh exponential Right, and how many denominations are, are there? Like and, there's over like twenty thousand, I believe. Uh, I mean, the, this is the church. If you believe in the creed uh, on any level, one holy and eth- Catholic and apostolic, uh, Catholic small c in that sense, but uh, we're not one, and that's a tragedy. We, 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 without talking about any one specific of the Reformation, that is a tragedy, and it is why the culture that we have now, in America or otherwise, is 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 largely uh, uh, lost. So, yeah, that's I. It's just begot, broken because of our incapacity on our own. It's it's not wrong to have access to it, but our clearly one man's interpretation is another man's uh, heresy. Where does where does this end? Who interprets it? So we go back to scripture itself. One thing scripture actually doesn't say is the Bible alone. It actually says quite the contrary. Uh, it points to things like episcopoi, diaconoi, th- words that we know from deacon, episcopal church, uh, presbyter, priest. Uh, we know this thing. There was some formal structure mandated by Scripture. It also says, it talks about tradition specifically and by analogy to say that there's all manner of things that were not written down here. Uh, it, it points specifically uh, uh, to... Um, John ends his gospel by saying they could not have possibly recorded everything yes. that Christ did. Paul cites several times in his letters, and there's a lot of debate. Did Paul really even think the letters he was writing were going to be considered on par with the Gospels themselves, or even, Mm -hmm. as he knew it, the Bible, the Torah, as we know it today, the Old Testament? But Paul also cites creeds that were common sayings among the people that were, you know, as he alludes to, we think. Uh, well, he specifically alludes to Virgil when he, the prophet, the Greek prophet Virgil, he alludes to him when he's at the Areopagus at Mars Hill. He, um, we think he references what's called because the, the the term, um, oh, the non non canonized scriptures. What's the word I'm looking for? Gnostic gospels, the, not the Gnostic gospels, but the. Uh, Oh, deuterocanonical, canonical, deuterocanonical. Yeah, that there's a that term is not everything that's not in the scriptures is like you know the fake gospel of Thomas where Jesus killed a bird and raised it. Some of those things are things like the Book of Enoch. Well, you refer to Maccabees all the time. Yes, that's history. Uh, The Book of Enoch was very popular in the first century Jewish world. We think is it Paul or is it Jude, Aaron? That may have, that addresses or we think makes a reference to the book of Enoch. I think it's Jude. Is it Jude? Yeah. All right. So that would be an extra biblical source that the Bible itself cites or references. So there's evidence for 
where you are coming from. And Paul, the one I was, by analogy, Paul is in in uh, uh, Corinthians is talking uh, about what we say in Mass every day but for transubstantiation. I mean, the, 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 the process of the body, uh, bread and wine becoming the body and the blood, that, those, the, that was written before uh, the Gospels were actually written. He's referring to something, a tradition uh, that is has regularly taken place. Well, yeah, to me, I, I think you haven't even made your best argument yet. When God calls his first covenant people the Jews, what does he give them? A religious system. Yes. A system of sacraments. Sacrifices. Well, that was my point earlier about that yeah. we believe this is from Christ himself. Yeah, I mean, this, this, that's the first time God manifests himself to a covenant people through the sons of Abraham, the sons and daughters of Abraham, what does he give them? He gives them a system. A, you know, and, and even before that system is fully unveiled, he tells them on the way to the promised land, put up your living stones, remember these places, mm-hmm. to come back to them, to recall what I did for you here, right? So that to me is your best argument. And put it, seeking that system, why was the argument, once we have uh, Constantine uh, now as a Christian emperor and we're talking about uh, formalizing the canon, and Steve, you've accurately said it's not like we did not know, there were some arguments around the edges, but the, the canon was largely uh, established uh, by that time. But why were yeah, these... Yeah, if you've read Dan Brown's book and he yeah, tried to no. tell you the council and Nicaea decided by one vote, I actually yeah. think there was only like one or two votes against the canon. It was like right. 350 to two or something. But okay? why were those books also well respected at that time where if these people it's a pre-literate society where were they hearing this in the mass right that's where these were written just as they are that's where they were read just as they are today so some of you listening to this right now may ask then why are you an evangelical should i answer that question what is something i have said to you many times over the years about the catholic church and I love it because you know I agree with it. He said, if the papacy would actually act, if a hierarchical top-down structure would actually behave in this day and age with the power it actually has to separate the wheat from the chaff, he'd have your attention. It, because ultimately, what is the argument? And, and Luther hated the book of James so much, he wanted it thrown out of the, out of the canon, okay? The book of James is, because he thought it was the most Catholic book in the Bible, the book of James is, Show me your faith and I'll show you my works and show me your works and I'll show you your faith. Right? Faith without works is dead. There must be some good works there to show that you have a saving faith. And that's one of the earliest, if not the earliest. One of them, yes. I turn that argument back to the Catholic Church. Yeah, rightly so. If you want me, what you're really asking me to do is to put my faith in you. That's really, to me, how I see this is you're really asking me to put my faith in you. Therefore, I need evidence to show me it's worthy of saying, denying my own instincts in some areas, because I would have, I'm, I'm not a joiner by nature. I'm, a, I'm more of a contrarian by nature. Being part of a large group institution is not, no, not how I'm wired. I'm wired to be the guy out in the desert with a locust and honey, man. That's what I'm wired to do. But I will set that nature aside if the evidence shows that that's the truth. Since September 18th, 2003, I have fought daily, and some days I've lost, but most days I've won. I have fought to set my nature aside because I saw the evidence of who Jesus Christ really is that day and what he can really do to the human heart. And then the ultimate evidence, this dude was once alive and once was dead and now he's alive. He walked out of that tomb. That's pretty powerful evidence. That's Paul's argument, right? Got better evidence than a guy who walked out of a tomb? No? Okay, then shut your hole, know your role. That's mm-hmm. your evidence. That's what we got it. Thank you. Won this round. Try again. Try harder next time. Okay. I'm well aware of the bastardizations that go on within Protestantism and evangelicalism. I spend a lot of my time discussing them and confronting them. But to me, those aren't you can't corrupt God's word. You can be corrupted yourself. But my best evidence, what is my best evidence at confronting their corruption of the word of God? The word of God. Now, did I say it was my only evidence? I love Aquinas has one of my all-time favorite quotes. 
rarely affirm, seldom defy, often distinguish. That's my career in a nutshell right there. That's how I've done my job for the last 12 years. Augustine's my all-time favorite theologian. I argue with evangelicals all the time that I think if the Catholic Church has overemphasized tradition, we have all but vanquished it, and we have lost much of the intellectual we've lost much of the intellectual context of our own of our own faith because to me tradition is how come your wife has that chocolate chip cookie recipe from her mom and she got it from her mom and she got it from her why'd you guys pass that down because that thing rocks your freaking taste buds man that's why because it proved throughout history it worked we act like we're the first christendom era to confront islam John of Damascus was doing debates throughout the Fertile Crescent against Islamic apologists in his time. This is, there's nothing new under the sun. By vanquishing tradition altogether, we've lost a lot of the intellectual weight of our own faith, which I think leaves us more open to heresies. But ultimately, you cannot corrupt the word of God. It is a double-edged sword. It stands alone on its own. It will expose your corruption and beat you upside the head with it. I need to see, I need to see if you're asking me to, to put my faith in you as an institution, to properly put the word of God into context, then I need to see you're, you're serious about your own system. If faith without works is dead, then I need to see a pope who doesn't meet with Kim Davis in secret while he meets with gay activists in front of the cameras. I need to see that. Preach. Because if the whole system here is based off of fruit and evidence, that's if that's really the if that's if we're really having an argument about authority, and the evidence of the authority is the fruit and the evidence, then I, I need to see you're serious about what you're trying to change my mind on. Amen. If you're not serious about what you're trying to change my mind on, why should I change my mind? Agreed. That's my argument. Your response. Agreed. Um and when people come to me and have complaints about the the church, uh, as long as they're not hysterical, um, I I usually nod my head and say I hear you for all the reasons you're uh, talking about. Uh, the the Catholic Church has not put its best foot forward here. I think that's completely obvious in the last uh, well, at least the last twenty years. Uh, at least I would say though that regarding uh, the church versus scripture. The, 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 the argument is the same for both. Uh, the, the church is also uh, can't be corrupted at the same level. You're talking about scripture, and scripture says so. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Both are equally uh, corrupted. Uh, scripture. I mean, these days, we, you, you, how much time do you have to spend talking about arguments about shellfish, shellfish and linen? Right. It's those, right. that level of corruption is no different <clears throat> than what's happened within uh, corruption uh, in the church. But but both are ultimately at baseline protected by the Holy Spirit, but both are either interpreted or manned by, if you will, mm -hmm. men. Ultimately. We are sinners all the way through yes. till the very end of the day, and yes. that's why all of this gets to be a mess. You're right. Why construct a massive bureaucracy called a magisterium? There's only two ways that you do that. One is um, to protect something. The other is to protect something what are we protecting well and I, the loaded term you used and rightly so i have no problem with it massive bureaucracy a magisterium is one of the three three legged three one of the legs of the three-legged stool along with tradition mm -hmm. and scripture uh but yeah magisterium yes massive bureaucracy that's where a man has made a you know a nonsense of this thing that thing can look many ways just like we talk all the time about uh the uh american government is as uh well def as necessary as ever before the problem is the bureaucracy mm -hmm. how we said, said that's which is why we said get rid of it winnow it down to what it's supposed to be it's essence i mean and then when you when you burn attempted reformers at the stake that doesn't help your case just like well steve by the way, this is why I go to an evangel. This is why I go to a non-denominational church, because the guy who runs the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission for the Southern Baptist Convention spends more of his time, I think, wrongfully teaching 
and applying the scriptures on the issue of immigration than he does actually defending First Amendment religious freedom. So, uh, no, I'm not signing up for that. Now, why do I have that conclusion? Because I lined up with the scriptures. I lined up how the, what immigration policy God actually gave his people with what, with what, um, with what is being said by, who, what's his name, Aaron? Russell, what's his name? Russell Moore. Moore. Yep. With what Russell Moore is saying, and that's not, it doesn't line up, guys. It doesn't line up. Similar to what the U.S. Council of Catholic yes. Bishops uh, largely says. So just, as I, just like I would say to the Catholic Church, if, if you want me to put my faith in you as an institution to clarify the ultimate meaning of the scriptures on earth, then I need to see you're real serious about clarifying the ultimate, you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. I mean, because if, if you can't get the simple stuff right, then you, we can't, you can't get the stuff we all agree, that's bad, that's bad. We can't get you to consistently stand with us on that. And then you want me to go ahead and take on your thoughts on celibate priests and everything else? That's a bridge too far for me intellectually. Agreed. I would say the same thing over here. You want to tell me your Sola Scriptura, the guy who's running your Ethics and Religious Commission of the Sola Scriptura Southern Baptist Convention is teaching an immigration policy that isn't scriptural, guys. It's not scriptural. It's like the GOP saying, we have the most conservative platform right. ever. Yeah. And so, in some respects, my position is the ultimate cop-out. I, am, I have enough afflictions I struggle with on my own, enough hypocrisies I live with within myself that the Word of God confronts me on my own all the time without taking on the baggage of somebody else's team. So I'm just on Team Bible, and if you're on Team Bible too, we're on the same team, man. That's how I look at it. Well, as long as there's enough Protestants out there who will think like the older Aaron and not the oh, we won't. early Aaron that think the, the well, and there, I, there, and there I, are plenty of Aaron's Protestant papists I've run into them. They're, they're papacies in Colorado Springs, Dallas, Texas, Atlanta, Georgia. It's on channel 372 on DirecTV. Come on, Aaron. We've seen plenty of this. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I bring that up not to Raz Aaron. I loved his candor on that because that's a learning process for me to, to know exactly what I mean, I, this every is time where a, I work. I every work with time you. A, every time a Protestant asks me, what do you think of John Hagee? Would you, are, you, are you a premillennial dispensationalist? Are you one of those Calvinists? What they're really doing is expressing a form of, of, of bureaucratic mindset. They're not asking me, hey, what do you think predestination is? What do you think free will is? How and when do you think Jesus comes back? Is that almost ever how the questions are framed to me that I get asked? No. No. What they ask me is, what do you think about this person and the sect or tribe he leads? Is that not at the heart of much of the Protestant criticism of Catholicism? Yes. Yeah. That just happened. Bam. Well, this is what I love. Yeah, how you mentioned uh, why you're not part of a, a denominational church, but... That's what's so and fascinating. And that might even be They're, an idol well, unto itself. But, well, but how... <laughs> I don't want to join, even they, if I should. Here we are having this debate, but here those churches are dying, if not dead. And here we are at perhaps opposite sides of the spectrum on a line, but that line increasingly over time is being bent into a circle where we touch and we form these things that you, Chuck Colson, evangelicals yep. and Catholics together, because we know that, you know what, this thing has kind of played out and the coming together is happening and we're not going to probably we're going to oh, be dead way, and gone look, look but at the way it's changed i said this when rick santorum was the evangelical candidate in 2012 we've gone from in, in 1960 evangelicals didn't want to vote for a catholic who might listen to church teaching in 2012 they they only wanted to vote for a catholic that was going to listen mm -hmm, to church teaching right. that that is evidence of of what you are of what you are describing that does not mean by the way that when there are serious disagreements, they should not be aired, even disputed. Yeah. And they might even, sometimes because we're guys and we have testosterone, it might even get heated. Okay? But that's why we come now and reason together because as we close this out, we get to the fifth and final creed. The purpose of human life is for the glory of God alone. Sole de gloria. That everything we do, we are to do for the glory of God how we love our spouses, how we raise our children, how we worship at church, how we perform our jobs. 
That's why we're here. We're here to glorify God. We're here to let our light shine. And that's really, to me, the ultimate fruit. That really tells me who's really living a life of faith and who's not, is if that is their highest pursuit. And when they fall, they get back up. They don't quit pursuing that, but they get back up to pursue it further. Well, the last thing I will say is that that right there, that closes proof that God's providential hand is on this conversation because the reading in my Catholic, the gospel reading in my Catholic church, which means in the gospel reading in every Catholic church across the world, just this last Sunday was, Lord, what is the greatest commandment? said, to love your God with all your mind, heart, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Boom. All right, man. I think we just settled 500 years of history right here today. Go team. Be one. Aaron, you get the last guys. word. What do you think? Um, there's there's nothing I could say that wouldn't all, that, that wouldn't be redundant. Um, but I'm glad we can have these these types of conversations, uh, kind of in the same vein as as the conversation last week with Noah Rothman. As long as we can have adult conversations like this, and maybe even get heated, but not uh, come away hating each other, uh, you can share a country with people like that. Amen. You're gonna have to share email follow-up to this yes and we will by the way this was not meant to be the end-all be-all of this conversation but maybe start one so we want to hear your feedback of course steve at stevedace.com follow us on twitter at steve dace show like us on facebook don't forget crtv.com promo code dace don't want to miss tv today's tv show we'll see you tomorrow until then john 317 this is steve dace i like it you